0: Hey fam, welcome to Altered Podcast. I am so grateful we have Dr. Adi Jaffe on the podcast today and we talk about an abundance of things. He's had quite an up-leveling just in his expansion as a guide, as a a therapist, as a teacher, as a retreat leader. He has focused so much the past decade plus on, um, addiction and healing from addiction. And really, you know, the way we do anything is the way we do everything. And that's what we talk about in today's podcast, the, just the pillars of life in general, we talk about expanding and healing our health, our relationship to fun and play our relationship to work. We talk a lot about polarity and masculine and feminine, um, poles and, and how to really thrive within them and how to connect and align ourselves so that we can connect and align with our partners. Um, and yes, we also, of course, touch on addiction and healing and connection and just pretty much everything. So if you've been looking for an episode to really reconnect you to who you are, how you want to move through life, this is it. Uh, if you haven't already, please do leave a five-star review and a written review wherever you listen to this is it just helps get the podcast to more people's ears if you like it share it can't wait for you to dive in now let's get altered with dr adi jaffe dr adi jaffe thank you so much for being here
1: yeah thank you so much for having me
0: Mm, such a gift um so this is called altered podcast i switched it up and uh I often find that these moments of shift, these moments of alteration happen when something happens, when it's either a moment that brings us to our knees or it's a moment that um, wakes us up. And so this is a podcast about transformation from the inside out and the outside in. And I can't really think of a better guest to talk Mm. about making shifts than you. So thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm honored. Mm-hmm. Glad we finally got to do this.
0: Yeah, it's been it's been a journey trying to make this thing happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, people. so i
0: I was just I was just telling you I, I was stalking your Instagram, and it's been really cool to see and to witness um, your transformation as a mm. as a teacher and a guide and a healer and whatever um descriptive word you want to put in front of that. Um, I'd I'd love to hear a little bit about like what's really lighting you up right now as far as transformation for people and like what's what's on top. What's most present.
1: Yeah, I love it. Um You know, I have to be honest, my shifts in where I put my attention in terms of the work I do with people probably follows some of the shifts in my own life and, and the things that I'm seeing that are delivering value for me and then really trying to you know, show that and, and guide people towards some of those things. And um, you know, I've been in this work personally for myself for twenty some years. And so you're always learning, right? You're always expanding. You're always figuring out new things you didn't even know existed before. Mm-hmm. And so there are probably a few things that I'm really, really excited about. And some of those I do with Sophie and with um with some of the relationship work that we do and some of them I, I do on my own. But um I've gotten really deep into polarity work. Uh, that's, been, that's been a pretty big component. Uh, I've gotten more and more involved in psychedelic therapy. I've been doing that over the last six or seven years, but really dove deep about two, three years ago into that work. Um, and then one of the other pieces that has transformed my life is you know, the power of relatively small habitual change mm. to create massive transformation. It's always like, have you ever seen that video? Of um the little like a, a little tiny domino, and then the dominoes get bigger and bigger mm-hmm. until eventually theres you know there's a domino that's like twice the size of a human being, and it it mm-hmm. gets dropped by the initial small change. That's how I kind of try to discuss this with my clients, right? We always think that we have to make massive changes, and sometimes that's true, mm-hmm. but oftentimes even small changes delivered over time have this compounding effect, mm-hmm. and that's another piece that i' I'm, I'm really big on with my clients now.
0: Mm, that's huge yeah I don't remember who said it but it's something to the effect of like a meaningful life is cultivated by meaningful days Mm, and yeah yeah, like we, we want these big crescendos like these big landing pieces like oh I made it to this I did this I got this relationship I did this but it's like we get there through these small incremental moments which is so good
1: yeah there's a quote from Gandhi that I like using that is um Your beliefs become your thoughts, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your habits, your habits become your values, and your values become your destiny. Mm. And I think too many of us try to focus on the destiny, and we don't think about the beginning of that quote. And so we want to be different, we want to have a different life, but we don't get back to the basics, which is, okay, well, what behaviors am I engaging in daily Mm. that are not serving that? That destiny that I want to be part of, right? And we have to start there because destiny or goals, they all look different when you're far from them. But when you mm. get to any goal in your life, you've found out that inside you oftentimes feel very, very similar to the way you felt before, right? It's like there is no, there is no end point to any of this. So you, right. you kind of have to just fall in love with the constant iterative journey of discovering and rediscovering yourself, mm. or at least that's been my experience.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, you talk about these three pillars of life, work, fun, and health Mm. and like negotiating a truce with them. Like how do we as individuals like find where our focus needs to be? Like, do we break them up per day? Like how do we kind of integrate that into our life?
1: Yeah. Great question. Um, you're referring to, uh, something that ended up coming up in one of my groups. So sometimes I'll share, I run a few groups every week and sessions online and I'll, I'll record some of that content and then share it online uh, on Instagram or something along those lines. And, you know, it's interesting. I found out that oftentimes people have an incredible bias or um, imbalance in their life. And, you know, feeling connected to others, Feeling like what you do matters, feeling joy, right those are some big pillars of what makes your day feel fulfilling, and so many of the people that I work with who are really, really struggling, you talked about some of these things that bring us to our knees sometimes either literally forget all of those or they end up putting so much focus on one area at the um, you know and detract from. Others and so what I what I try to keep people thinking about all the time is you're never really going to be in balance, right? It's mm. more of an act of balancing. Mm. But I like for people to think about there are a few different ways that I kind of describe describe those vectors, and and that is one of them. But you have to have a way of constantly measuring what's working and what's not working, and mm. we we love putting more and more work and more and more emphasis on the things we're already good at. It's like there's there's this willful, this willful commitment you have to make to putting effort into the areas that need it, tend to the parts of your life that need tending to. And sometimes that might mean you're an incredibly successful entrepreneur, but your relationships and your sense of joy or purpose or connection in life are really, really suffering because you're putting everything into work. Well, we live in a world that might reward that for decades, Mm -hmm. but you may end up getting to that end point and find yourself surrounded by a lot of success, but a lot of sadness, a lot of Mm -hmm. disconnection, right? I work with a lot of people who are either on the verge of divorce or have lost a marriage and an entire family because they, they misjudge how important any specific section is.
0: So good. I, I just am thinking like relationally, you know, I gave a talk a couple of years ago about the importance of connection and like, really, that's in essence why we're here. And like, again, tying back into some earlier work of yours, like, and I would love your opinion on this, like in many ways, in my experience, I find that the op- opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, the opposite of addiction is connection. And I love that you're moving into like polarity work, because it's the same, it's like the same essence, right? Like we're just trying to connect. Where, where does that connection start? And how do we start to connect to ourselves? And how does that tie into how we care for ourselves, like self-care?
1: Wow. Yeah, that's a, a big and, and <laughs> good question. Um, look, most of the clients that I work with disconnection started long before they started relying on unhealthy coping strategies, right? And so when you're a child, you learn, I call it, you know, you're, you're kind of like that sponge, right? And you learn how to connect to others. And some of us were blessed with, let's say, at least families that loved us and appreciated us and made us feel safe. Many people were not. And so some of those people learned. To be overly dependent, right? Enmeshed with others in order to just feel safe. Others uh, learn to completely disconnect and feel as if they had to be 100% independent because they couldn't trust anybody else to take care of them. And many of those patterns, I love Bruce Lipton. If anybody here uh, listening hasn't heard of Bruce Lipton, please pick up his book, uh, The Biology of Belief. And, you know, he talks about. How we learn all these things early in life, earlier than you want to believe, right? Up to the age of eight, nine, maybe even 10. And, you know, what does that mean? That means how you saw friends talk to one another, how you saw your parents talk to one another, other family members, what was conflict like, right? What was okay to say and what was not okay to say? And you develop that as your version of connection. And if you come from a background, and I, let's say, I'll use an example of mine. If you come from a background, we talking about feelings, it was not just not safe. I don't know that it was unsafe. It was not modeled. I didn't learn how to do it. That that can be a dormant skill, a skill that I may be able to fully own later in life, but I now have to go and find models for what is, what's the connection I want to make with people? What does that even look like? What is the language that allows for that to happen? I was just talking to a client last night, and um, he's going through some really serious problems in his marriage. And he comes from a very success-driven family. Think um, athletes and entrepreneurs, right? And so performance was the way in which you garnered connection, right? If you did well, you were lauded. If you weren't doing well, you were discarded. And so we had this really interesting conversation where I said, look, in your marriage, what would it feel like to actually not try to win over your wife or not try to um, successfully control her sadness or anxieties and kind of fix them for her, but to just go in where the success is measured by understanding. The success is measured by connecting and walking up to your wife and say, look, I'm bad at this. I don't know what I'm doing here, but I want to know you and I want to understand you. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen to what you're saying. And I'm going to try to maybe reflect it back to you. And try to check my understanding, maybe just be curious and so when I don't understand something instead of feeling scared of it, which a lot of very successful people are scared of things they don't understand, I'm gonna percent. dive in with you, I'm gonna say, "Well, what made you think that or why do you believe that's true and And kind of try to get into her head, and you know intimacy is this act it's a it's a it's a state we can reach through acts of connection and Connection is not necessarily about specific deliberate outcomes, right You can't always measure oh we are now more connected or we are less connected It's kind of this ongoing process again of trust um you know engagement over and over and over if when you know somebody well and you feel like you trust them to know you well um that that is what you mentioned before, right the Johan Hari quote about the opposite of addiction is connection because so many of us look for ways to fill in the voids, the the lack of intimacy that we have deep inside. And we look for outside things to fix it. And those things could be money. They could be fitness. They could obviously be drugs and alcohol. They could be, um, you know, I don't know, collecting weird toys. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like, if you have found something in your life that feels like it fills you video games or something along those lines, you can use any of those as a coping strategy. But what we're really going for is feeling understood and connecting to others.
0: Where do we begin understanding ourselves? How do we How do we even start? Like, if someone's like, "Great, mm. that sounds great," but what, like, how do I do that?
1: I love it. So, actually, I'm writing my next book, and um, it's all about that. It's called Unhooked, or that's the working title. At least we'll see what the publisher does with it. But awesome. the working title is Unhooked because what I say is everybody talks about I'm hooked on alcohol or I'm hooked on drugs or I'm hooked on video games or I'm hooked on television. But those aren't really the hooks. Those are your medicine for the hooks. Mm. The hooks, and I literally imagine like metal hooks embedded into you, are these things that have happened over your life that keep you tethered, they keep you anchored, they keep you stuck. So I'll I'll just use an example. Let's say that that man I I just talked to had a very distant, difficult father who judged them. He and all of his brothers were supposed to be professional golf players, and so it was this very rigid way of looking at life. He also lost a sibling um, mm. early on, and then lost another sibling later in life, and so a lot of pain and and um, a lot of pain and, and, and coldness, you know, right? like almost like this frigidity in the way that he grew up. And so the hooks are around trauma. The hooks are around disconnection. The hooks are around feeling like a failure, and having to prove yourself. And so, whenever a hook gets pulled on, we are we get pained, we become uncomfortable, and we have to go look for solutions for that. And so, in the mm-hmm. book, I introduce this method that I call Sparrow, uh, that kind of breaks down how we get from activating the hooks to the behaviors that we don't like in life. And Sparrow mm-hmm. stands for stimulus, perception activation response selection response and outcome and so it's kind of like Mm -hmm. it's a play on cognitive behavioral therapy Mm -hmm. and then it incorporates some trauma understandings related to how your body somatically actually gets activated by those hooks and i really i literally have to take people through understanding well why do i do these things where did I learn them? And I think too many of us are not curious enough about how we got to this place. Um, mm. This could just be with the people that I work with, but I've not worked with thousands of people. And the first thing I notice people say to themselves, and maybe even to others if they have close others, when things go wrong, is they ask, "What the hell's wrong with me?" Mm. And they turn this massive level of judgment that they feel inward. Wow. and you know if you think you're broken and you're damaged then even doing work on improving feels a little futile because you know how am I, i'm not, i can't fix myself right i can't actually become unbroken and so i try to explain to people look your behavior right now might seem crazy even to you but if we start at the beginning and we follow step by step by step how you got here I guarantee it'll make sense in the end. And then you can go back and you can unravel it. There's a story I tell about Christmas lights that I can tell later here if it makes sense. But um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So good. I, the, the shame piece of that, it's like, whatever the issue is, it's on us rather than like, hold on. Like my circumstances are actually like that. The, the empathy around self rather than just like pure shame. I mean, shame does not bode well for healing that's for sure
1: no i think it actually that's a it's a great point you just made i think shame precludes healing almost Mm -hmm. because when you're hiding and that's what shame really is right shame is Mm -hmm. there's something so broken and wrong with me that i can't reveal who i truly am when you feel like you constantly have to hide it's like wearing a mask Mm -hmm. um almost a costume when you go out into the world. Now, let's be fair. We all wear masks and costumes when we go out there, right? The question is for me, and I say this verbatim in the book, I truly believe you have to have at least one person that you feel like you can be yourself with in the world. Because if you don't even have one version of that, that you are literally caged, right? A cage that's self-made, but it's, you're, you're imprisoned in your own life. And um, it feels lonely no matter how many people you know, no matter how much money you have, no matter how successful you are, how many stages you get to go on. You know, it's it all feels completely empty because you feel like you're in prison. There's You're never able to just take the mask off. You're never able to take the costume off.
0: I think about that with people who are super well-known. You know, it's like they don't necessarily feel safe Hmm. to be fully seen um they don't feel fully safe to be fully known in their fullest expression and no one in particular but i just i I think of like i think of like a kim kardashian of the world like she can't just like go out and be her normal self with like her girlfriends in public because people will take her picture you know and sell it for however much
1: yeah and the irony of somebody like that actually is that They became well-known because of the fame. Right. And so there's probably an incredibly difficult, not balance, but probably a difficult um, reality that, that somebody like that has to deal with regularly. So I've never worked with Kim or anybody in that family, but I've worked with very, very famous people. And they technically can't stop being in the public eye because if they stop being in the public eye, then they lose everything. That they feel like they are judged by everything that that creates their worth, and yet there's this constant anxiety or actual almost like hatred for the level of exposure that they have to have. And so, you know, imagine living in that place where what has brought you everything you wanted has become the antithesis of the way you want to live. It's it is actual prison. I saw uh, a story. I don't know. I should. Stop looking at news in general, but um, yeah, but I saw this story that was making this point about uh, I don't know I think it was a Taylor Swift thing or something like that about you know why do these rich people even go out to dinners because they know they're going to get mobbed they know the paparazzi is going to be out there and I paused and I didn't care enough about the writer to to make this point on a comment but. I said if you had all the money in the world, would you just want to be stuck in a castle and just eat by yourself with like right. five of your friends every single day of your life? Is that
0: right.
1: is that the life any of us want? No, we actually ironically and I I've now because I've worked with you know A-level celebrities, mm. it taught me one thing more than anything else, and that is celebrity is the worst evil. It is it is a devil that nobody actually wants we're all enamored by it because we think that life is glamorous and yes, mm-hmm. you get to wear beautiful things and you get to do whatever you want in terms of freedoms of access, but, but you end up locked up mm-hmm. and you end up unable to untether yourself because you know, once you become famous, there's there really are only two options. You either keep doing all the work to stay famous Mm-hmm. Or you stop doing all the work, and then you become a has been, and every story that you ever hear about yourself is about how you couldn't cut it it's It's the ultimate catch twenty two um wow. you know, celebrity it sucks it's it's yeah, horrible th- whoever whoever's listening <laughs> to this right now and dreaming of becoming famous, please stop
0: yeah please, please cut it out um yeah, you think like the word that came to mind was freedom, like you think it's going to lead to like freedom, but it's actually like the most constrictive thing
1: yeah 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 it's you know again it's I think the world is made this is just a a thought I'm having right now, so I'm gonna work this out as I say it out loud, but the work is full okay. of continuums right there's always these continuums, and yes, poverty and abject um lack where you can't do the things you need to do to survive or that those things are incredibly difficult is terrible and then on the other side though um I think you can end up in a place where you are now tethered to what yeah. the money means. And there's been a lot of research on this. I'm not making this part up. There's a lot of research showing that beyond a certain level of money, uh, and yeah. that that depends on where you live and the time frame and the size of your family, all that kind of stuff. But you know, generally, the research literature says, let's say like $75,000 to $100,000. And let's let's imagine that's per adult. Right? So if you've got two adults and some kids in the house, like maybe that makes it to about $200,000 a year, $250,000 for a family of let's say five. And so once you make it past that level, you don't actually become happier. Right. Uh, the money doesn't provide any additional happiness. And again, that probably again that's different if you live in New York than if you live in Columbus, Ohio, or if you live in uh, North Dakota. But, um, but I think that's something important for all, all of us to think about, right? Because we got into this through the conversation about connection. Mm. And being wealthy and alone does not feel better than being middle class and surrounded by people you love right that is that is absolutely false
0: yeah yeah so good and it's also like what we like lay at at the altar of our life right? Like I'm pedestalizing this fame or I'm pedestalizing this thing that I have yet to achieve. Yeah. And therefore I actually like cannot get in touch with my own sense of worthiness or my own sense of connection to right now. Cause I'm so connected to this thing. That's not even here. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's the ultimate escape, right? Fantasy.
0: Totally. Totally. And you can
1: fantasize about anything. You can fantasize about being a, a rock star. You can fa- fantasize about being a successful entrepreneur, like Elon Musk, or something. You can you can fantasize about being, I don't know, a, a supermodel. It doesn't really matter what it is. If you think about any one of those examples that I just gave, the lifestyle is very different than <laughs> what you think about. And when I I urge people all the time to actually pause for a moment and imagine yourself actually living that life for not for a day. It might be fun for a day and not for a week, like for five years, you know, and like everybody wants Elon Musk's money, but nobody, first of all, he's gone completely off the rails, but, um, (laughs) but (laughs) nobody wants to work 120 hour weeks, No, you know, and I don't care how much money you give me. I don't want to live that life. Like it could be $400 billion and I just have to commit to living that hundred hours sleeping on the, on the couch in my office, whatever, I'm the, on the best king size bed in my office alone for weeks at a time. No, not willing to do it.
0: No, it's a hard. No, it's a hard. No. Yes. Um, okay. I'm going to take like a sharp left and it's all congruent anyway, because I love that you're doing so much polarity work and that's such a, uh, like there's a, it's a buzzword right now, you know, like polarity and like masculine, feminine, whatever. Um, but I just would love to know like what you see in couples that you're working with, what you see as far as like where the polarity gets kind of fucked up (laughs) and how can we, how can we start to align ourselves with the polarity that we're in, whatever our, you know, relationship. Yeah, whatever is, is.
1: actually resonates or what works for us. So yeah. so a couple of things I don't want to say here. First of all, I'm going to say some things that could be controversial and that's okay. I'm right. fortunately not big enough to get Please. canceled. So it's all good. Um you and me both. But like nobody would care to cancel me. But um but also there are different arenas within which we need to consider polarity. So I'm going to start abroad and go in. You can always stop me in the middle if it's getting a little too deep. But Great. One of the places that made me start looking at polarity actually has to do with physical intimacy, sexual connection between partners. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say every relationship I work with, but the vast majority of relationships that I work with, within, um, have massive lack in, uh, in sexual attraction and, uh, and, and physical intimacy. And so there's a lot of work around that. I'm going into a very small, narrow part of it. We're not going to talk about all the other pieces that are relevant. You know, everybody has to just consider we're talking about one piece. And so one of the things that I realized in my relationship with Sophie and the work that we were doing and then with other couples is that a lot of the men that I was working with aren't actually connected to their masculinity. And... I'm not talking about masculinity from that macho, Rambo, Rocky, like I'm going to go pound somebody into the ground masculinity. I'm talking actually about that grounded, secure trust in self and ability to hold Mm -hmm. others, masculinity. And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. This is the part that's a little controversial potentially. But, you know, I I laugh at the notion that, you know, about 100 years ago, women's suffrage and women starting to go to school and women working – the, the story from men at the time were the, was that women couldn't handle it, right? Like women, women's place was in the home, take care of the family. That's what a woman was supposed to do. And they couldn't think through the complexities of politics or, you know, they couldn't possibly go to work and manage the home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think what turned out is quite the opposite. It turned out that women were actually far more capable than, uh, than any of those men thought. And unfortunately, I think what happened at the same time is men allowed the women in their lives to take over sometimes even the responsibilities that they normally would have had. And so Mm -hmm. men retreated while women advanced. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I'm not in any shape or form suggesting men did not hold on to a ton of privilege during that time, but essentially – you know, think of two uh, 2 income households, sharing of responsibilities, et cetera. Some of the heat got taken off men while women mm-hmm. stepped up in real ways. And what's happened sometimes in relationships right now is men and women are almost on equal footing, which is great in terms of equality and equity in the relationship and finance mm-hmm. and, and education. But I think what we find typically is that's not where the fire ends up happening in the bedroom. And so- whether the man is the one that embodies the masculine in the bedroom or the woman, somebody has to be the one that kind of steps in and holds it. Right. And I am, I mean, I'm not talking about only cis relationships. I'm talking about in all right. Transgender, uh, same sex and heterosexual relationships, all of those. Um, and look, I mean, look at bo- tops and bottoms in, in the gate in, in, a um, queer world right it's like yeah that's why those exist because people want to have polarity and so I work primarily with heterosexual couples but a lot of the men either because of themselves because of the world because of their history because of the relationship whatever have kind of become emasculated mm-hmm. and so diving deeply into that was really, really cool because initially it, it felt scary because of the whole toxic masculinity thing and all those pieces. Sure. But once I actually discovered, you know, think of David Data, right? Like that's obviously he's the, the man most people think of when they think of this work. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of his writing is dated, but you can, you can, we're smart enough to bring it into this world. And for sure, it's really beautiful to think of how do I show up in that way in my relationship? And so even that conversation that I had with that client, and I'll bring it back to that client who was struggling in his relationship, I'm asking him to go connect to his wife's emotions. But the way we're positioning it, the, the the frame around it, is he's not there to fix it. He's there to hold. What does that mean? That grounded masculine that makes it safe for his wife to have feelings Without him being personally hurt, without him feeling like he's got to now go fix it, but actually make it safe for your partner as the masculine for towards the feminine, make it safe for them to have their experience in life, and you hold it where they know, right? Remember we talked about having somebody in the world who can really see you, who can really hold you Yes, how can you be that for your partner
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so i love I love this work, and it is again, it's incredible. I work with very successful men who have a really hard time doing this because at work, they can hold the space, but in relationship, they have a really, really difficult time. Um, So that's how I got into the masculinity work. It's been really cool to watch people get it and then have to practice for months, if not years to actually get good at it.
0: Totally. And just thinking of it from like a feminine frame as well. And again, doesn't matter what the gender is, just energetically, the feminine, like that ability to trust and to surrender and to open, despite, um, despite that there has been so much pain and there has been so much denigration of the feminine, you know, it's like, well, is he gonna, is he, and I say that archetypally, you know, is the masculine going to contain me? Is the masculine going to take what I share or what I open and use it against me? Or, um, so there's so much like trust building and, Uh, it it feels and this is totally my stuff like to really surrender is takes so much ironically so much strength yeah and yeah i'd love to hear you talk a little bit about like the feminine role in that
1: yeah so it's it's interesting we just had a couples retreat at our house um last week and we we did some polarity work with couples
0: damn it we we should have gone gone.
1: i know right (laughs) yeah next time um (laughs) Next time, well, I think we're doing another one in April. Um, oh okay. good. You could see the couples where this was really difficult, in, including couples where the uh, the polarity was switched, mm-hmm. and so, and again, by the way, zero judgment, right? One of my big things is fuck shame. Like, mm-hmm. if you are okay, or if you want to play the masculine versus the feminine, it's just more about the polarity with your partner. So if your partner is gay, and I'll just go, you know, if the woman is, is the one that really holds it and, she, and the man is down, like get tied up and, and feel like he's giving up his control, which is common, more common for men than most people think. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes sense. That's awesome. That's beautiful you just have to be in in conversation with your partner so you have to know that your partner will hold that space for you and so the resistance typically comes for, from two things that i've seen as you just mentioned and this is where this can get controversial sometimes right some women feel like wait but i don't want to get disempowered mm. right i don't want to lose my power in the relationship sure and and this is the place where i think context really really matters Right, Context really matters, so we're not saying that this is the place you have to live in every day all day. We're talking about a specific situation where you're you're trying to get um polarity around physical intimacy where so many people struggle and so we definitely had one couple where you know the one was like, "Hey, this feels like I am falling into the stereotypical female role, and then thirty minutes later was talking about one of the things that she was so happy her husband has been stepping into recently and doing was making decisions about what's for dinner and then setting up a restaurant reservation or ordering food because mm-hmm. she's been the one responsible for for so long so you could see the battle the internal battle between hey i can do anything don't tell me that i need to give in my power and then but can you do a little more to her husband? Right? Like, can you just take over some of these things? I don't want to be responsible for all this stuff. So there is a battle. Look, I'm married to a woman who's very positive and very um, loving and very connected, but also can work hard. And so it's hard for her sometimes to to let that part of her go. But when we hit that moment, it is like a magnet, right? You can just feel it like all of a sudden both parties go, oh, oh, this is that space. And I urge people to think back to maybe when they started dating the person they're with right now. Right? What role were you taking back then? What, were, what was the juiciness that brought the relationship together in the first place? And sure, some of these couples we work with have been together 20, 30 years. Things change over 20, 30 years. But how do we, remember we talked before about the connection, the, the health, the joy, the things that people want to be able to, to do in their life. Maybe you've taken your eye off the relationship, and this is one of the places where you really need to reinvest your efforts.
0: We're so wired toward safety, you know, and we have all these defenses that we create to try to feel safe, whether it's through partnership, whether whether that defense is through an addiction, whether that, you know, it's like all these things that keep us safe. And I think of that in, like, the polarity dance and it's like for me personally like being um and my my boyfriend is he softens me so much but i you know i like such a like meritocracy like internalized you know patriarchy like go perform like that's very like alive in me and my work has been like to untie those internal knots um, mm. But you know, it's like those were instilled for for safety, and so again, coming back to that, like fuck shame thing, like seeing it through that lens of like, I, I'm not bad, or I'm not like, ugh, like a control freak. It's like this was my way of trying to stay safe too. 100%. Yeah,
1: and that's I think, such I think, a I think that's s- it's good to remind people of just because we adopted certain coping strategies early on in life doesn't mean that those are the ones we want to hold on to right now. Right. <laughs> and by the way, we haven't talked about this at all. But one of the things I also urge a lot of men to do is to get in touch with their feminine. Mm. So a lot of men lack all creative mm. endeavors. Like so many men that I work with have no real space for full freedom, creativity in their life. During mm. COVID, I got back into music and, um, it was a saving grace for me. I bit like a tiny little recording studio in our garage and I can just go mess around and cool. And, you know, we talk about the feminine as being the part that's more in flow and kind of just, you know, like water. Right. And so it's mm-hmm. ephemeral and it takes on different shapes at different moments based on the environment. And I can go play music and Sophie will come down and go, Hey, are you going to come up for dinner? And I go, yeah, I'll, I'll come up. I've just been doing this for a little bit. She goes, you've been here for three and a half hours <laughs> and yeah. there's a presence that nobody has to tell me about when I'm doing that or if I'm playing the guitar or something like that. Um, and I, I consider that part of me getting in touch with the more feminine, um, mm. creative, juicy kind of parts to myself so that I don't let myself get in touch with when I'm working, right? They're almost blocked. And so Mm. I'm not for a second suggesting that people need to choose a pole and then stay there forever. I'm just saying, become aware of the pole that you are holding onto at any given moment and make sure that it serves what you're trying to get, right? Imagine two of those masculine energies trying to kind of attack each other in the bedroom. It's like two people trying to lead a dance,
0: right?
1: It's just going to get messy. Right. Or imagine two people <laughs> sitting not in, in a the fun, corner.
0: Fun way, messy.
1: <laughs> no, not a fun, not a fun way, messy. But and and also imagine two people kind of just like open, waiting for the other person to hold them and make a move. Right. And then you could just wait there for a while and just kind of get upset because <laughs> nobody's stepping in to actually hold the space. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's. You asked this before, and I think it comes back to this: How do people start understanding themselves? And I think what I found in my own life is expose yourself to more and more concepts and then do a little bit of inner searching.
0: Just be mm. curious.
1: Does this speak to me? You know, does this feel like something that relates to my experience in life? And if it does, then go in a little bit more deeply on it.
0: Mm. So good. Yeah, we, we all want the quick fix of like, oh, I'll just do this one, two, three thing. And it's such an evolutionary. Yeah.
1: Sure. I mean, that's why we love drugs and alcohol.
0: Right. Oh my God. Yeah. It makes you feel good real fast.
1: And and it kind of delivers the same almost every time you do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can count on it. You talked about trust and safety. Like, at least I know if I get drunk, yeah, maybe I black out, but at least I know the feeling I'm going to have on the way to blacking out. And then for many of the people that I, I work with also, you know, forgetting eight hours of their life is not necessarily a bad thing.
0: Right. <laughs> they're like, thank God I didn't want to remember so, that shit. That was terrible.
1: Like, yeah, <sighs> I get to wait, I get to not be here for eight hours. Please you give me more of that. Mm.
0: Okay. Now, again, we got We got to touch a little bit on addiction. Cause that's so, I mean, I, I firmly believe that like everyone is like a little addicted to something. That's you know, like, whether it's a thought, whether it's our phone, oh my God, my digital appendage, I'm fully addicted to my phone. Where, how do we know? And I don't know if this is like from a clinical standpoint or just like your rule of thumb, like how do we know when we're actually addicted to something?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I always connect with the consequences. So just because you do something a lot doesn't mean you're addicted to it, but if it's causing pain or it's blocking you from doing things you want to do it's making you not show up to meetings it's making you cancel relationships it's making you um you know not go to birthdays or not turn in your papers at school right mm-hmm. if there are consequences or hurting your relationship which happens so many times for people i work with that's that's when you've got to start looking at it mm.
0: and if anyone's listening and they're like oh that might be me where do they start
1: yeah there are a lot of places to start Uh, i'm still really big on the concept of starting with inquiry um don't run away from that thought all right running away from the thought is what gets us into trouble Um, it's the same by the way in every area of life so not just around your addiction at all right if you have conflict with your spouse if you don't ever confront it it will never get better it's not just going to get better by itself and so if you think you may have a drinking problem or you think you smoke too much weed or you think you take too many pills look into it right mm. say to yourself okay well let's see how has this developed what have i given up because of this there are you know obviously the the traditional thing that most people know is kind of aa uh, and there's a real reason why people escape that as much as for as long as they can and the reason is to participate in a lot of those self-help settings, you have to take on a label. You have to say I am an alcoholic or I am an addict. I don't think that's actually necessary for the work, but you have to. Be, you have to be willing to look in deeply. So, like at Ignited, for instance, you don't have to commit to abstinence. You don't have to commit to coming for a year. You don't have to commit to anything like that. You have to just show up and do some work. But the work is um, it's rewarding and it's challenging all at once. You know, it is very confrontational to look at the pieces of yourself that you've been trying to ignore for years. Mm. But, but when you get comfortable looking at that, sky's the limit. I mean, there's nothing you can't do. Um, I tell people, and this is not my saying, but I don't remember where I ended up picking it up. uh, You know, the true art of self-development is getting comfortable being uncomfortable.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And when you can start cherishing that and go, Oh, I'm uncomfortable right now. Let me not escape it. Let me understand why. That's how you keep resolving things. So I have a book mm-hmm. called The Abstinence Myth. My next book's not out yet. Uh, there's a lot of kind of what people call quit lit or, um, you know, sober curious kind of literature at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Annie Grace and Ruby Warrington and Holly Whitaker are some of the names that come to mind uh, right off the top. And just inquire, mm-hmm. read, listen to podcasts, start paying attention to it the payoff is massive when you can start addressing those issues and you don't have to reach quote unquote addiction level who cares what the label on it is if it's bothering you like if you're drinking two glasses of wine every night and you wake up with a headache and you'd like to stop that that's a good enough reason to mm-hmm. do something about it right you don't have to wait for things to get really bad at all you don't
0: have to be like blackout city as we call it yeah yeah no reason totally totally i was just talking in my um In my class at Antioch, um, this is my society and the individual class, which I love so much. We were talking about learning the distinction between discomfort and unsafety. Mm. Right, like, like, especially being a clinician. Like, if someone is uh, yelling and like having a big moment, like, am I am I unsafe or am I just uncomfortable? in this scenario and it's the same thing with us you know like okay i'm just uncomfortable i'm actually not unsafe this is just a sensation that's gonna move Mm. i'm not unsafe feeling this grief i'm not unsafe feeling this fill in the blank i may be unsafe if i'm in a fucking abusive relationship (laughs) you know and it's like yeah you you just talked
1: about So if we go to that sparrow thing, you know, something happens, the stimulus, and then we have Mm. a perception of it. And what you're talking about is that perception box, right? So two people can be in the exact same experience and have a completely different notion of what's happening. Mm. Um, Mm. And I just want people as they're listening to you speak on that, your history will have a huge impact on how you feel in that moment. And mm-hmm. both the history with this person, but also history before this person. When Sophie mm-hmm. and I first started dating, sometimes if I would get big with my hands, like if I went like this, Sophie would flinch because she was in an mm-hmm. abusive relationship before me, and I c- it literally couldn't compute because I've never right. hit a partner ever in my life. Right? I think I I punched a wall once, but like mm-hmm. I've never I wouldn't even think of doing it, and so I couldn't it it didn't connect that my action would create that in her. But that's because we come from such different experiences, right? And so I think what's also important, and I think this is the point that is important. You need to figure out if you're actually safe or unsafe. Mm. But then the next piece is you need to dive in to why do you feel unsafe, even in situations that you may realize logically are safe. Because Mm. that feeling really, really matters. We don't respond to reality ever. Just so we're right. very clear. None of us ever respond to reality. And whether you want to fully call it the matrix or whatever the hell you want to call it, yeah. you respond to your interpretation of reality. Right. And so, you know, when I would do this and Sophie would flinch, even though I was like raising my hand to move my hat or something, <laughs> yeah. um, it's still important for us to understand why she feels that way yeah, and to help resolve those feelings. So over time, she learned, obviously. But then also, no, don't run away from it. Don't ignore it, that your significant other is flinching or that they have this trauma. Help them feel safer, right? So how do you shift their perception? You shift it actively, not passively.
0: Well, fuck. That's a big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot. I mean, it's, it's sad. I mean, it's more than sad. But it's, um, it's really, really upsetting how many, as you mentioned before, how many women have had? Very unsafe interactions with I'll say men in particular um a lot of women that I know with older men earlier on in life, and so it sure. it creates this real um yeah this this real perception of ongoing lack of safety
0: for sure we all just want to be safe, oh my god yeah um well you i mean again, you're one of those people I could talk to for days um I I just want to give people an opportunity to connect with you and to know about upcoming retreats, books. Where can we find you? Where can we work with you? Give us the tea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Ignited which is spelled like I G N T V like on my hat. Um is mm-hmm. ignited.com. Uh you can you can find everything we're doing there, especially the retreats and things of that nature under events. Uh, there's also a blog and we have a podcast. Uh we're gonna retool the podcast. We're actually ending it's a season, but it's been a six-year-long season. So we're ending season one <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna start having kind of like three to four month mini uh seasons. And um and then I also have a website called the which is more about my speaking and things of that nature. Uh The Abstinence Myth is my first book. Um it's available on Amazon, on Audible, Kindle, all the places that you can all the, all the manners in which you can listen. That's all owned by Amazon, so it's not all the places. But uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Um, but that's that's one place uh, in terms of reading the material. But a lot of the stuff, a lot of people talk to. Me. So first of all, I have it for two thirty-five on my website, the digital copy, and I think the Kindle is like two ninety-nine. So we try to make it almost as cheap as you can make it on purpose. Great. And Great. but we also have all the free resources. So you know, I'm on Easy. Instagram and. We have blogs. I used to write for psychology today. So there's still like 200 articles in psychology today for me, all that kind of stuff.
0: You're a gem. Thank you for your time and your presence and just your wisdom. It's so good.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to get reconnected.
0: Me too. Guys, thank you so much for being here, taking the time out of your day to connect, to get altered. What a gift. If you like this episode, please do share it. Share it with someone who could benefit from it. Share it on social media. We need to have these conversations. We need to have free content that we can integrate into our lives. So share it. It would mean so much to me and it will probably mean something to whoever you share it with. Uh, again, if you haven't already, please do leave us a five star review and a written review wherever you listen to this podcast. It will help us so much. And You're the best. Thanks so much.